Emotional Recovery. We're here with The Lies We Left with Ashley and Erin. Um, Ashley and Erin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who wants to go first? Well, my name is Erin. I'm one of the older sisters. I'm the middle child of five sisters. And my sister Ashley and I, along with our other sisters, have a podcast named um, The Lies We Left Podcast. And it's talking about our journey in recovering from healing and trauma. Okay. Um, well, let's just, uh, Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'm Ashley. I'm the last born out of five girls. Um, like Aaron said, you know, we have our podcast, The Lies We Left podcast. And, you know, we're just so excited to be here on your podcast and hoping that we can share a little bit about our story and, Hope that it helps someone. Well, that's that's what we're all here for. So let's get into the questions. Um, what things have you done to recover from being abused? Ash, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say the very first thing was I had to accept and kind of come to terms with the things that happened to me. Um And once I was able to come to that place, that was really when I started doing what's called EMDR therapy, specifically EMDR trauma therapy. I started doing that for a little over a year to try to help bring out the trauma so that way I could deal with it, work through it. And during that time, I was diagnosed with disassociative identity disorder. And that kind of spiraled into a whirlwind of different issues that you know, led to dealing with some PTSD and trying to work through memories and all these different types of emotions. And so the MDR really opened the floodgate. And, you know, kind of since then, it's been working on my self-esteem, kind of working on my spiritual health because of the way in which we were raised um, to know about God and just kind of having a support system and having my sisters there. Okay. For me, I would say I've, I've done a whole lot of things. It, it's kind of like the things that you like name it. I've done it almost to everything. I've done everything from, I mean, some things haven't been helpful, like uh, cold showers. That's not helpful. <laughs> if, you are, if you are in constant fight or flight, taking a cold shower is not going to help you. So I thought it would, and it just wasn't. So don't ever try that. Um <laughs> So for me, EMDR therapy was definitely the catalyst that helped me. And then it kind of got to a point where, well, one, I couldn't afford it (laughs) that much. So I had to go to other avenues, but then also EMDR was pretty exhausting. So then I started meeting with someone who, spiritual healing or inner healing. So she works with people doing inner healing and that has really helped me probably the most. Um, EMDR was definitely the thing that launched me and then inner healing was the thing that brought a lot of healing. So those are the things that I would say I've done to recover. What is inner healing? Yeah. So what does that look like? So inner healing, I'm sure that there are different aspects of inner healing. I, 
I know that a lot of religions have different versions of inner healing, but I do come from a Christian background. I am a Christian or I'm a believer in Jesus and I, I follow his teachings and I believe in God. And what inner healing does is it brings Jesus to the core memory. So if there's a memory, let's say that, um, well, I mean, I don't want to get too triggering, but there let's, I'll just give a hypothetical situation. Let's say I was eating ice cream in my, on, you know, in my house as a little kid. And my dad comes to me, he says, are you going to eat all of that? You fatty, you know, and that really scarred me. So then I go into that memory and I say, Jesus, what do you want to show me? How do you want, what do you want me to see? Where are you in this memory? Where were you? And so that is, and then Jesus shows you, this is where I was. These are the things that I actually say about you. You aren't fat. You were enjoying ice cream like a normal child should. Your father was a, a was a, was a man who, who had faults and he was abusive you know, things like that. So that is what inner healing is to me and what I've experienced. Okay. Um, I know you guys have endured a lot of types of abuse. Can we just kind of name them all since there's so many of them? Yes. Everything under the sun. No. (laughs) Uh, So we are our birth mother that we, uh, we call her by her first name. We don't, Um, we don't recognize her as our mother anymore because of the abuse that happened. Um, she abused substances growing up. So we dealt with parental substance abuse. We dealt with a lot of poverty, um, which that's not necessarily abuse, but everything else that happened under that was we had, um, there was a lot of neglect. Um, there was some physical abuse to some of us. There was also sexual abuse from our birth mother to three of us. Um, and then there was also emotional abuse. Spiritual abuse, uh, too. And spiritual abuse, yes. Okay. And educational neglect. So just, yeah. That's, those are all big ones. Yeah. Um, what has been the most helpful? <clears throat> I guess I would say for me, what has been the most helpful is, as Erin always says on our podcast, doing the hard work of healing. (laughs) And our other sister, Brooke, she hates it when we say that. But it's true. I mean, healing is not easy. And if anybody is telling you that it's easy, they're just wrong. I mean, healing is a lot of work. It's it's hard. It's it's not always going to be fun. You'll have your good days and you'll have your bad days. But Essentially, what's really helped me is just sticking to it and constantly having this like view of things going to be better. Because three years ago, no, not three years ago, just a few years ago, I didn't envision myself to be doing this much better. I didn't. I didn't think that that was possible, but I kept holding on to what I felt like God was trying to show me, which is that he promised me. He promises me a better future and he wants to heal me. He wants to help me. So just kind of holding on to that has really helped me probably over these last few years. Okay. For me, I would say feeling all of my feelings, no longer dissociating from them, 
and I, I still do that. Like I, I still do that because I had to do that all my life. I had to dissociate to protect myself from the environment that I was in. And that just kind of follows you as an adult. You, you dissociate. And we all have different forms of dissociation, but mine was pretty bad. So I would say like being in the moment, feeling those feelings, not being afraid to feel those feelings, even if that's intense hatred towards God, if it's intense hatred towards the world, how it works. Um, so I would say for me, allowing myself to feel those feelings and acknowledging them. Yeah. No. My therapist said I didn't like to feel my feelings. It's hard. It's really hard. It, you don't want to do it because you want to go watch TV to forget or you want to eat. You know, for me, it was always eating or watching TV. Yeah, I think most of us try to find some way to numb it. Or TikTok now. <laughs> or Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how did your family respond? Well, at first, Aaron was actually, ironically, the very first person besides my husband that found out about this stuff with, um, Cindy, our birth mother. Um, so to backtrack though, we all didn't know this. Like I'm, I'm 30. I think I'm 30 when I realize I've been molested by our mother, our birth mother, Ashley, how old were you? Oh gosh. Let's see. I'm 27. When was this in 2019? Yeah. So whatever. So I was probably like 25. Yeah. And we had realized at different times, but Ashley didn't, Ashley started having flashbacks years before 2019. But she I did. never told anyone besides, I think, her husband. Yeah. So back in 2016, when I applied for Child Protective Services here in Texas, I had to take this sexual abuse training. And I won't go into depth about what was in the training, uh, partially because I don't fully remember what was in it. But it was enough that it triggered me. And at the time, I didn't know what a trigger was necessarily. And I didn't know that I was having a flashback, but I instantly had this flashback of me with uh, Cindy and it freaked me out. I started having a panic attack. I had to leave the training and I just convinced myself for a few years that like I was crazy and that I was just thinking weird things and I just didn't make anything of it. Even though That abuse makes so much sense today. Like when I finally came to the conclusion that those things were real and that they were true and I started diving into them, it made so much sense. So, but our father, he, he had died. So no reaction from him, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you, Rachel, I don't know if you know this, but like, I, I just, I, I try to find humor in everything. I feel like there's, you have like a, to. there's a special code with people who are victims of abuse and you're like, well, let's just laugh about that. <laughs> like You just have to. That's what you have to do. But yeah, 
I, I would say that Aaron, I mean, Aaron was mortified when I told her because I told her, she told me something personal about herself and that's what made me segue into, oh, well, you know, I've, I've had this, you know, this, this thing pop in my head and I don't actually think that it's real or anything, but I don't really know what to do with it. And Aaron, like her jaw just dropped. And then I told Aaron not to tell anyone, didn't listen to me. She but told Brooke. She told Brooke our other and sister, our oldest sister. <laughs> and then that kind of led to the whole family finding out. And then it divided us at first um, because we were really conflicted. Me and Rachel, our other sister specifically, were really conflicted because I didn't want to believe that this happened. I, I told Aaron and I told Brooke, I'm not sure that this is super real. So it was just... It divided us at first, but then ultimately it brought us together. Yeah. No, I can see that happening. And it probably took a little while for all of that to unfold, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. It was hard, though, because when you first come out with something, especially it being older, when you're older, because you you live all of your life not knowing that or having that realization and then you come to it and you're just like are people going to believe me like because i i never understood i i always thought how the brain worked that if you something traumatic happens to you like that why would you forget that Mm. you know and so that that's how i that's how i thought and so i thought maybe something's wrong with me maybe i'm making this up and then why would someone make that up I think it was Jennifer Lloyd. I think she wrote a book about that. I'll send you the link about mm-hmm. um, di- like suppressing childhood memories. Yes. Yeah. Um, I haven't read it yet, but she does a bunch of re- uh, that's prim- her primary research is um, working on suppressing childhood memories such as this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Sometimes I think I may have some that I, I mean, I remember some of my abuse, but I don't, I think there might be some that I don't remember. So like you, I, like, I'm, I don't think I can say I was physically abused. Like, I don't have any memory, but there has been some things where I think I was physically abused, but my body, like, I, I cannot go past that memory because I, I just, it just stops just blacks out and i i do not know what happened after that i'm assuming though if someone's going to sexually abuse me they're also going to physically abuse me not necessarily but that's also possible yeah i mean i i saw how she was physical towards my youngest my younger two sisters so i don't know why she wouldn't be that way with me i guess but yeah no i mean you know and that just depends on the family i mean my dad wasn't really ever physically abusive. Mm. It was more of a mind control type, mm. you know, emotional yeah. trauma bonding. Yeah. For, for our mother, she just hated us. Like she just hated us. That's what it came down to. So, and she was very narcissistic on top oh, yeah. of that. Extremely narcissistic. Yeah. My mom was borderline, which is, it's kind of like Jekyll and Hyde. One minute, you're her favorite person. Next minute, 
you're a horrible, awful, terrible child. Yeah. And that's, that's hard as a kid. You don't know what to do with that. Yeah. I don't think either one is good. So I think they're just different. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is I don't think narcissists or borderlines can emotionally regulate and they pass that on and it's really hard to emotionally regulate. Yeah. I mean, that's been my struggle. Hmm. So, yeah. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. It's just being able to ground ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how did your community respond? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so it was kind of a scandal with us talking about this, honestly. Yes. Because we grew up in a church that some would say is not a cult, uh, but the majority of it who did leave the church would definitely say it's a cult. It was a cult. Um, or maybe some don't care to say anything about it. But it was a cult. And, you know, it it was, a, you know, we were Southern Baptist. At one point in time, maybe someone said we were non-denominational. I don't know. but we That's were, a joke. I know. Sorry. We were not non-denominational. We were Southern Baptists, y'all. Good Lord. So, and and I'm not saying Southern Baptist or, you know, non-denominational or any denomination is a cult. You can be a cult and, you know, be anything you want, you know, but. That's true. I mean, you could be a cult of the Easter Bunny. Yep. Something like that. I mean, so I would say the majority of the responses that we got were incredibly empathetic and just they shared they they were just sorrowful they they were just they were mourning what happened it was and it was a lot of the adult it was mainly some the adults in that church that would reach out to us and just say we had no idea we had no well idea. no so on the flip side of that though yes they didn't know what happened to us but what was heartbreaking and it just it felt like your heart was being ripped, ripped out and stepped on and thrown and it was run over and I could keep going. But the bottom line is that it felt so awful for people to tell us. They're like, you know, we knew something was wrong. Yeah. Like we knew that your family life basically sucked. You know, like people told us that. And they're like, you know, we knew that we were concerned about this or that. And it's just like. They didn't do anything. They, you know, they, and they handled it within the church. Exactly. They did handle it, you know. Whereas and, the church and, doesn't yeah. need to be dealing with things like that. The government needs to. You need to call the police, call CPS, call whoever you need to. You know, don't call your pastor, you know, <laughs> whenever it comes to signs of neglect, abuse and things like that. Uh, that's one thing I'm really glad I've been doing more. Uh, there's a great organization called Grace and I think and SNAP. They're mm-hmm. two excellent organizations and they're holding the ca- church accountable not just for the abuse that's inside the church but abuse that's happening in the families and their homes Mm. and you know doing more mandated reporting and things of that nature and they're teaching and training churches on how to catch this behavior yeah and how to respond 
Um, unfortunately, that's where a lot of it happens. A lot of, and especially incest. Incest is such a common thing. And it's just like, we have got to do better about pointing it out, saying something and doing something as best as we can. Yep. I don't know if you guys have, well, there's a book out there. It's called The Father, the Daughter, Incest, and the Outbreak of Childhood Gonorrhea. And I realize it's your mom that sexually abused you. And it can be wow. any family member. Yeah. But, you know, it's the 19th and 20th century, and it breaks. Like, there's news articles and legal documents and medical documents dating back for two, like for 200 years of data, basically. Hmm. And just yeah. on that yeah. form of incest. And there's tons of forms of incest. I think the saddest thing that many churches do is they just try to handle it. And maybe there's a, I'm sure that there are good in, intentions with this, but they need to, when things like that, like domestic violence, things like that are happening and people go to the pastor or the associate pastor or whoever, they need to go strictly to the, to the police, to CPS. I mean, they are mandated reporters. Um, and rather than handling it within the church, because the church is not designed, unfortunately, to help that. They, they don't have the, I mean, pastors are not therapists, you know, unless they have a degree in therapy. And they're, you know, it's just, there needs to be a separation in that. One thing that I've come to notice about this whole healing and everything is that it has very much taken therapy and it's also taken God. It's taken both. And there's very much a place for both, you know, in your life. And so I definitely think both is important to have. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. Um, I do know. I mean, churches, some of them are waking up and realizing they have to do better. But that's a small percentage. We're a long ways from it being the majority, which is heartbreaking. Because, you know, Jesus, you know, he was there to take care of us and love us and protect the weak and the vulnerable. And that includes children and women and people that are easily suppressed by society. Mm, yeah. I mean, and the church is probably one of the worst at victim blaming and protecting the, yep. it's the rapist a, and the, the abusers. Yeah, it's usually the, the woman's fault if she's getting abused by her husband. Well, maybe she hasn't, you know prayed enough for her husband. Maybe she hasn't put out enough in front of her husband and a, a pastor would never say that. But in other words, he's saying that it's the woman's fault for not doing what she needs to do, you know, or for how her husband is, but that's a tangent in itself. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and we, we talk about that. Um, I think I did an episode with Sarah Moon She's a female pastor in the Methodist church, which was kind of an interesting. I've heard that episode. Yeah, it was a good one. And I think she, she mentioned a book. I think it was, um, I can't remember. It's red. 
Um, but she talks about a book that teaches pastor, like it teaches people how to recognize abuse and uh, domestic abuse, like women and women, like marriage type situations, partnerships. Yeah. Um, was there any re-victimization or victim blaming? No, not for me. I think it would just be more of like, don't air out your dirty laundry kind of stuff. Don't talk about it. Or have you forgiven her? Things like that. Yeah, I would say the same for me. Not not from anyone that I communicate with now. Um, like my spiritual mentor, like she... It, she has not said anything to me like that. Um, but you know, you definitely hear that message. Like that's the message that we grew up with. And I'm sure a lot of other people grow up with is you, you just have to forgive. I've had some people ask why I don't have a relationship with our, with, you know, Cindy, our, our birth mother. And I'm just like, um, no, why, why, why would I? I have children of my own. I, I'm going to protect my children. Um, she is an evil person who did that to me, and yep, not going to do it. She wouldn't even admit that she did it. And she told us when we confronted her about it. She said that she, her ending sentence was, "I hope you you all continue therapy because you need it." Not that, that's what she said. So why would I have a relationship with her? And I just have to say that even prior to us confronting her, like all of us had a horrible relationship with her. She was always, she was always trying to like mooch off of us. And it was always like a give and give. It it wasn't a give and give relationship. It, It was never like she, she always wanted something, you know, if she did something for you it was because she wanted something or expected something. And so none of us, especially me, I did not, I I had conflict with her all the time. I mean, she demanded to use my car, just very entitled. And that always bothered me because as a teenager, I moved in with Rachel and I had to start, yeah, with our third oldest sister. And I had to start really paying my way and, Um, you know, she didn't want to help out with any of my life and neither did my dad at the point. And so it made me very mad that she was very entitled. So I dealt with that anger, but yeah. Oh, that stole a lot of your childhood too. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, all, all of this stole all of your childhood, but, or a lot of your childhood. Yeah. Right. Um, how has this impacted your career? I guess I'd say for me, I mean, I started at CPS and that's kind of what started my healing journey was getting triggered (laughs) during, (laughs) during that sexual abuse. Yeah. During that sexual abuse training. I mean, that's what really motivated me to work for CPS. I, I really wanted to help abuse children and you know, to help make a difference. And um, yeah, so I would say that for me, it was probably just getting into CPS and kind of going from there. Um, 
for me, I mean, I, I had our firstborn son when I was 21, didn't go to college, had two other kids after that. And I had started, I hadn't started my CPS job. I, let's see, I had the realization that I was molested by our, our mother a few weeks before I started CPS. And so it was very stressful. It was very stressful going to therapy, um, seeing just constantly seeing things that was hard and hearing about stories. That was also hard being intertwined in these stories of these families that I worked for in CPS. That was hard. And then also dealing with my own stuff that, that was, that was hard. I'm sure it affected me in more ways than I remember. Well, it sounds like both of you guys probably have secondary trauma from working from CPS. I mean, and that just, uh, who doesn't, uh, I swear sometimes working in this field, I mean, it's just a lot. Yeah. And I don't work in like, I mean, this is what I do. This is the extent of, and I, I write my book and other than that, I, I do other things that aren't related to this because I can't, I couldn't do it. I honestly couldn't work 40 hours a week working on childhood sexual abuse or abuse in general. I just couldn't do it. So kudos to you. Well, I, I quit, so... <laughs> There's that. <laughs> well, there's that. Hey, you know, that job is tough. Yeah, it was. I made it almost three years, though. So there's that. Yeah. Um, all right, that's it for Lies You Left. Um, they'll be back next week for the rest of their um, episode or their, um, their show for part two. Uh, thank you for listening. Always follow us on your favorite podcast platform and always follow us on your favorite social media. And if you have any questions, reach out to Rachel on recovery and um, just make sure you, you are subscribed to your favorite podcast platform. We are switching um, host this next month. Um, so hopefully uh, Sounder will be going down. So if you are listening to us on the Sounder website, that will be going um, down at the end of this month and I may be switching over in the next week or two to find a new host um, and I'll keep you guys posted thanks for listening as always uh, we'll be on next week at 10am <laughs>